Well, let's get into the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, open that up. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to invite Patricia to come out to read Ephesians 3 for us this morning. Welcome up, Patricia. Thank you. Good morning, church. My name is Patricia Wang, and I help to serve as one of the leaders for the San Gabriel Valley Life Group. Uh, this morning's passage comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. If you could turn there in your Bibles, if you have one, and if you don't have one yet, the verses will be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Please follow along as I read. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you so much, Patricia. Appreciate that. Good morning, everybody. My name's Dan, and I think that some mysteries are best kept a secret. Some mysteries are best left alone. You agree? Let me give some examples. I really like Cheesecake Factory cheesecake, but I don't want to know what's in it. I think if I knew all the calories and grams that were baked into that thing, I would probably have to stop eating that. that I need that to stay a mystery, you know what I'm saying? Some of us don't really want to know what's going on behind the scenes in our favorite restaurant kitchens, because we see that health department letter B poster at the front door, and you know, there's, there's not always soap in the bathroom. Uh, the double hinge doors to the kitchen are maybe a little grimier, greasier than, than you'd like. But I've been going there 30 years, man. That's my spot. I know the owners. This is a favorite hole-in-the-wall place for me. And so just please don't tell me that the fridge has been running at 52 degrees. Don't tell me that you ran out of gloves. Don't tell me that there's not been anybody doing dishes for the last week. Like, I just want that to stay a mystery. Don't ruin this for me. How about Aliens. Didn't know we were going there today, huh? <laughs> UFOs, UAPs, it's hot right now. Uh, they're a big question mark. And in all seriousness, for a second, we as Christians, we know that whatever the, 
whatever is revealed in, in this mystery, we know that God is still the sovereign creator of the universe. We know that Jesus actually came to live and die and rise for our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins to, on this earth. Doesn't change any of that, right? That's true. But people are having serious and sincere conversations about this topic. Uh, military videos are coming out and congressional hearings are happening. And a lot of people are truly concerned and, and really eager to kind of get to the bottom of it. But other people just want to leave it a mystery. Hope that it fizzles out. I think it's, this is getting too much attention. It's not real. It's not serious. Just I'm just going to wait for this to, to go away. I don't even need to know, right? A lot of people are okay leaving that a mystery. But there are some mysteries that we absolutely do have to know about. I need the answers. I need, I need a sense of resolution with cliffhanger movies or TV shows. It, the, the, the ending is just so intolerable for, for some people. The wait for the sequel to come out is just excruciating. My wife is one of these people. When I'm sitting with her watching a, a great TV show and the latest episode finishes and just drops off the edge of a cliff at, at the end of that thing, she's like, she tenses up. It's like, no, it's like it's painful for her, you know? She needs that to, to, to resolve. This is a really bad one. You're all gonna feel this one. When we're texting with somebody and those you're having a tough conversation and those, those three dots pop up, you know? You're like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then they disappear and you're like, no, get it out. And then they come back up and you just wait and wait and wait. And then they disappear again. You're like, come on, dude, like just get the thought out, man. Just finish your sentence. I, got, I have to know what your piece of news is. Share your opinion, just whatever, get it out. Don't let that stay a mystery. Gifts, Christmas presents or presents you receive at any point in the year, kind of work this way too. I don't want to give this to somebody. This is a real gift today. And I want to give it to somebody who's, who's down to kind of participate a little bit. Is that okay? Uh, Tasakis, are you up for this? Brandon, come on up, man. <clears throat> All right, so take this. Brandon, this is actually for you guys, okay? Don't open it. Don't open it. Leave this thing a mystery. Hold it for most of the message, okay? We're going to open this at the end, but let that thing just sit for a little bit. I hope... Brandon and Tiffany, I hope this makes you feel special today and blessed. I think this could make your day a little bit more fun, maybe. Uh, I think, um, I, I hope you're, you're not, you know, nervous about what's in there. It's an actual real good gift. It's a, it's a positive, fun thing. Um, and and I, I think it could be fun for you guys. So it's absolutely for you. You will need to do something with it. But we'll just kind of sit in, the, in that wonder, in the curiosity. Let that cook for the morning, okay? And we'll come back to it in a little bit. But just know that it's good. Know that it's real. Well, we can't quite see all of it yet, right? That's kind of what our passage is like, and I, and I hope that that feeling leads us into a better understanding of, of Ephesians 3 today, that some mysteries just can't be left a secret. We have to open that thing at some point. That TV show just needs to resolve, and that friend just finish the thought, you know? We have to know. It's hard to move on in life. It's hard to sleep at night sometimes with these big lingering unknowns. And today's passage is all about that kind of mystery that could not be left concealed forever. Something so wonderful and great and powerful and loaded with more meaning and just has a, a broader impact than any of us would ever expect. It's a mystery that has got to be revealed. And without that thing being opened up, without this mystery being illuminated and resolved, no exaggeration, probably 99% of us would be left in the dark and lost and dead for eternity. That's no exaggeration. And, and what we're going to find in today's passage is that if we really, truly want to understand the heart of God, his wisdom, his, his plan for all of time, then we need to 
see and acknowledge what this mystery is all about. It's incredibly important. And so let's get into that and start to try to figure this out by looking at verses 1 through 3 and then 13. So go ahead and uh, pop your Bibles back open and let's look at 1 to 3 and 13. We're doing those separate verses uh, because this passage contains what's called an inclusio, which is a bookend structure, like a same idea sandwich kind of. Paul's going to talk about his suffering and his imprisonment at the top and at the bottom. And so it makes sense today to, to read those things in conjunction. So let's look at 1 to 3 and 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, so what can we start to pick up about the mystery in these first few verses? Three details I think we can kind of look at. First, this mystery is part of why Paul is in prison. Usually prison is meant to punish a criminal behavior or to put a stop to that, to make, it, make sure that it doesn't happen more, or maybe to change or reform a prisoner, uh, but none of that's going to be happening for Paul. You know, normally you'd, you'd say that the police or a judge, or in this case the Roman Empire, is the one that, that puts you there, but Paul's different. He says that Jesus is the reason for his imprisonment. He credits that to Christ. So even though Paul is chained up, his identity, his purpose don't change. Even though he's in jail, his job remains in Jesus, and he's still going to do exactly what the Lord called him to do, which is to communicate this mystery. And he's actually very positive about this whole suffering experience because he knows that his punishment is bringing, uh, his punishment, people are being brought to God. And that's why he says at the end of verse 13, like, guys, don't even worry about me in prison. Please don't be discouraged by my suffering because God gave me the job that got me here and he's being glorified for the, through that and through this you're getting to know him more and more. So I'm good. So this mystery is part of that. It's why Paul's in prison and he's fine with it. Uh, second, Paul's stewardship is to make sure that the mystery is received as an expression of grace for Gentiles. People who would have been looked down upon or are seen as unclean outsiders by the Jewish elites of the day. And this word stewardship, not one we use a lot today, uh, it referred to a household manager, somebody who would handle the activities and the wealth of a rich home, a rich family. And so what that means for Paul is he's in God's household, he's been given the riches of grace, and it's his job to manage, administer that, to get, make sure everybody in God's house has it, right? He's administrating God's grace for his household. So Paul's been given the responsibility uh, for this treasure, not to keep for himself, but to distribute appropriately, to reveal to others this mystery that was revealed to him in the Holy Spirit. So in these first few, first few verses, we're seeing it's, it's part of why Paul's in prison, this mystery. It's his job to get this uh, grace, mystery of grace, to the Gentiles. And then third, if it's an expression of grace, if it's an expression of God's grace, then this mystery we know is a good thing. That might sound weird, because mystery for uh, us today is different from how it was used biblically. Um, it kind of has a negative connotation for us today, doesn't it? When we hear the word mystery, we're probably thinking of you know, Sherlock solving a grisly murder or a CSI show with lots of blood and bullets and stuff. Or, or you know, it's like a dark, creepy movie. That's kind of how we think of mystery nowadays. But, but back in the day, in, in, in Mediterranean thinking in this time, uh, mystery describes something not necessarily scary or evil, but just something veiled and kind of opaque, 
Or I, like I'm not, it's not totally clear and I'm not seeing all of it. It may be a good thing, but I, I'm not sure everything that's going on there. So I just need it explained to me. I need it revealed and opened up and sorted out. It's, it's the box you're holding. It's like that. It's knowing that the sequel comes out soon. It's probably going to be good, but I'm, I'm just not sure yet. That's the mystery that, that we're talking about here. And so mystery, this meant to be revealed. We know it's good. We know it's why Paul's in prison. We know that it's grace from God, and we know that it's for the Gentiles. But what is it exactly? What is, what's in there? What's the substance or content of the mystery? He's going to get really clear about that in verses 4 to 7. So go ahead and look back down at your Bibles with me or up on the screen and check that out, verses 4 through 7. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So to be really, really clear, this mystery, here's what it means, is that non-Jews are now invited to be equal participants in the promise of Christ. Gentiles can now come in equal with Jews and be a part of all that God promised us in Jesus. The promise that Jesus was going to come to do this amazing redemptive work to bring people back into the presence of the Lord, into the presence of the one true, good, living, loving God forever. That is a promise, and the mystery is that that promise is not just for one special, ethnically distinct people group who live by Old Testament law, but actually it's for all nations who have no connection at all even to Judaism, to the Mosaic Covenant. They can come also through Christ because of his work on the cross. That's the mystery. That's the, the promise that all people are folded into. And that whole idea probably doesn't feel that earth-shattering for us. Like, why would that be a surprise for, for anybody? We, many of us probably grew up with, with that, uh, that concept. And so we have to try a little extra hard to, to realize that this is a huge shift for people in the first century. This is society changing. It's, it's a complete reorienting of how two people groups would have uh, interacted. Because even at that time when the Bible was being written, temple architecture, like where people, where Jews would go to worship, temple architecture created a sense of separation. There, was a, there were literal walls that if, you were, if you're not a Jew uh, and you want to go worship, you, you you have to go stay in the parking lot, basically. That's what was happening at the time. Uh, if, if you weren't Jewish, there was a literal wall separating you from worshiping with Jews. There were laws governing what kind of businesses you could do, what kind of uh, investments, um, loans you could make, all that kind of stuff. And Gentiles were even seen as unclean. It's hard to know what that might feel like for us today, the distance, the disdain even. But I wonder if it's, it's something like what happened to me a few weeks ago when I, I went into a local business and without any preface or explanation, the gentleman at the counter grabbed a bottle of hand sanitizer and held it up to me. <laughs> Whoa, what, what's going on, buddy? Like, you re- am I, do I look that dirty? You know, he's just kind of like, put it on, you know. I didn't understand what was happening, but he wasn't Jewish, I'm pretty sure, but I, I wonder if that's a piece of maybe what it feels like to be a Gentile at this time unclean. It's high school lunch table tribes, kind of like that. Like, oh, we can't sit with them. 
Those are the, those are the AP kids. We can't sit over there. Those are, those are just the athletes, you know. That's not, my, that's not my table. We have little tribes going on. Peter, the Apostle Peter did this in, uh, in the early church as they were trying to figure out the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. He wasn't sure who she, he should eat with. And so he's ate, eating with, Jew, uh, with Gentile people one day, and then he, he picks up his lunch tray, he feels all uncomfortable, and he goes back to sit with his, his Jewish friends. And Paul calls him out for this in Galatians. You can read about that. There were real social separations and actual feelings of like disgust going on. There's a major fracture that needed to be repaired. It's a, it's a big deal. And this might be a little preview of, of how it felt, you know, except probably even worse. And so all of this is a, is a great mystery. The great revelation is that the work of Jesus says all those people, even if you're disgusted, even if you're distant, can come together in Christ to make one family, one table, one household, one people group blessed in and through him to be with God forever. No longer separate, no longer stratified, but equals, brothers and sisters, daughters and sons, because the son of God brings together all who trust him as savior and king, amen? That's the mystery revealed. Yet, we know that's real, yet those hand sanitizer and lunch table type moments still happen to us today, don't they? We still have them go on in our lives throughout the week. And some of those moments are the worst feelings. Being looked down upon, being turned away, excluded. When we get, we get a nose turned up at us or a little bit of side eye, you know. That hurts. Why are they looking at me like that? What did I do? Why wasn't I CC'd on that email? Why didn't you pull me into that lunch meeting, you know? How did I not make that roster? Those situations can really throw us off. They can kind of get us down. They can derail our day. Even, even make us question like our worth and our value and our purpose sometimes. Why am I here? Why do I try so hard? Those are real, normal thoughts and feelings that any of us could have. But friends, they don't have to ruin our day. They don't have to rule our heart because of the truth in this passage. What I mean by that is this. When we feel excluded, when anger and anxiety, when questions and insecurities start to creep in, we can actually stay very secure because we know how included we have been in Christ. We can sit in that. When you've been dismissed, when you've been treated with disgust, you feel like you've been put down or treated as worthless, you can remember your dignity has actually already been restored in Jesus. You're not worthless. Whether you feel left out or less than, you know, that can stir up some worries and some pains, but we can truly be at peace because we know that we have been brought into the people of God by Jesus and we are actually all equal at the foot of the cross. So when being ignored or even looked down upon makes us question our worth, we can still have deep confidence in our soul because we already know the incredible price that Jesus paid for us at the cross. That is what this mystery revealed can do inside of us, in our hearts, in our minds. The discovery that the triune God himself has invited all people, all nations to be one body, one household, and to participate in this promise of Christ through the gospel. That, that is an endlessly comforting truth. The Jews and Gentiles, insiders, outsiders, can have equal access to God, not through special ethnicity 
not through specific laws and religious codes, not, not even through the sign of circumcision, but through the saving work of Jesus Christ alone. That's what makes us truly secure, yeah? That is a beautiful and wonderful truth that anchors all of us. We, we understand that, we believe that, we know this, that Jesus came to do this saving and unifying work. We got that, that's good. But how could that be a mystery still? Like, wasn't it, has, shouldn't it have been obvious all along? Why are we calling this such a mysterious thing? Wasn't it obvious to the Israelites in the time of Moses and David that, like, of course, God's not just going to save the Jewish nation, but the whole world, right? Everybody knew that. Like, this, it's the most famous uh, Bible verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the... Yeah, we all have memorized that. Even people who aren't believers, aren't followers of Jesus, they know that, they know that verse. It's in football stadiums and everywhere, you know? Now that we have that answer key of the New Testament of John 3, 16... It's, it's hard to imagine a time when maybe it wasn't all so clear, you know? So let's take a quick look at the Old Testament, each movement or genre of the Old Testament to see, should we have been able to figure this out all along? Take a quick look at this with me. So in the first few uh, books of the Bible, in the Pentateuch, you see a couple examples. One in Genesis uh, 22. Can we have that list? Thank you, thank you. Genesis 22 says that the offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. That's a good, that's a good hint or preview. Genesis 41, uh, Joseph starts to bring that to life and make it happen. When he goes to Egypt, that's a foreign Gentile nation, and he acts as a blessing to that country by some incredibly wise leadership, by storing up grain and really saving them during drought and famine. So there are a couple of nice hints. In the historical books, Joshua 2, you see Rahab, a foreigner, accepted by faith. You remember that story? You have Ruth, a Moabite, also accepted by her faith. These are outsiders folded in. Okay. What's next? Psalm 2. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, it, there's a, a command for the foreign rulers of the earth to serve the Lord, to, to fear him with trembling, to kiss, to kiss the son. It's going to be Jesus. So it's a call to the whole world to come to the Lord. And you know the story of Jonah? God is sending this prophet to go reach the Assyrians, the Ninevites, to preach mercy and invite repentance, right? Isaiah 49, 56, 61 says that there's just going to be this suffering servant character that's going to be a light to the Gentiles. And then even in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 15, there's this incredible picture of a Canaanite woman who comes to Christ, a non-Jew, asking for deliverance for her daughter who's spiritually, physically suffering, oppressed by a demon. But this, this Gentile woman, this Canaanite, knows that she doesn't deserve anything from Jesus. And so she compares herself to a, like a dog picking up table scraps from the kid's table. She says, I'm just the lowest of the low. I know I don't deserve any of this, but Jesus, would you please help, you know? So she understood that Jesus did come first for his people, for the Jews, but she also had this hint that the Gentiles would also eventually receive something from the Lord. So was it, was it always there? Was it obvious all along, or is it still a bit mysterious? You know, th this handful of samples covers 2,000 years of history. And of course, there are a few more in the Old Testament. That kind of feels like exceptions, though. Like just, just hints or tastes or real rare instances of you know, one or two people coming into Israel here and there. Or God sends a couple prophets to, to go speak to non-Jews. And so I think it's right, I know it's right, for us to say 
It, maybe it wasn't super obvious. The idea of Gentile inclusion was definitely there in the Old Testament all along, but it's not a super clear, massive outward focus. It's not this broad movement of God's people, the Jews, to go into the world and help Gentiles realize, you're equal with us, come to the Lord. It was a bit of a mystery. Even Ephesians 3.5, we read this verse earlier, tells us it was not made known back then in the same way that it is now, post-Jesus, crucifixion and resurrection. It's not visible. It wasn't visible back then the way we can see it all laid out today. It's like the dots were there, but they weren't all connected until Christ. It's like watching a 3D movie with no glasses on. You know, the picture's there for sure. You can see the pieces, but it's all blurry. Put that on. It pops, it's clear, there's depth, it makes sense because the cross clarifies it because the spirit, the revelation of the spirit makes it make sense. And so if that, that kind of clarity, that kind of resolution and revelation is the reality that we live in today, if it's been clarified in Christ biblically, it should be very clear in us personally, practically. In other words, because this mystery is no longer hidden because all those dots have been connected in redemptive history. It should not be hard to detect in us. Because this plan is visible and knowable now, it should be obvious in our speech, in our attitudes, in the ways that we treat people. And so what that means is because we have been included, we become includers. Because we have been made fellow heirs We fellowship by meaningfully, humbly, generously contributing to Christ-centered community. Because you and I have been made partakers of the promise, once as outsiders, now the people of God, we invite everyone to partake with us, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because we have been made members of one body, we reach out as the arm of that body to people who need that caring, loving, hospitable touch of Christ so that that outsider might find a home in him. We listen as the ears of that body of Christ to the hurting that they might find healing in Jesus. We speak out as the mouthpiece of God, announcing to the rejected the good news that there is refuge, there is redemption, restoration in Jesus. Amen? Even for the people we don't like. Even people who we find offensive. Even people, I don't know if I really want to sit next to them. Even people who have hurt us. It makes sense to keep those people away, to block, to unfriend, to build boundaries. It doesn't make sense to re-engage with them, to initiate reconciliation and try to make peace. So this plan of God, although it's extremely clear to us, we all see it. On the inside, it can actually feel like a mystery sometimes. It doesn't make sense. Why would I let that guy back in, right? But the mystery revealed was and still is that even those people can participate in the promise of Christ. And so, our fellowship today should not consist exclusively of people we would naturally, normally get along with. We don't need people to be the same as us, the same life stage, the same kids, the same preferences and politics and salaries and hobbies in order to grow together, to worship, to learn, and to serve on mission. Christian community should not be defined primarily by ethnic or cultural commonality, should it? 
People who live in one kind of neighborhood can pray and study and eat and worship with people from other kinds of neighborhoods, if you know what I mean. Because of this mystery of Christ, any exclusive or superiority-based distinction needs to die. And we can instead be confident that God gives us every resource we need to fellowship deeply and truly with people who are different from us or who wouldn't naturally fit together. I don't mean to be coming down on everybody with this because I actually absolutely do believe SBCC does this really well in so many ways. It's part of who we are. It's totally in our fabric. It's one of the, the things that drew me and my family here three and a half years ago when we first encountered SBCC. So this is, this is a beautiful uh, integrated diversity here where all different kinds of people are, are actually really fellowshipping and worshiping together. It's lovely. It's in our prayer meetings. It's in our discipleship pairings. It's in kids' crew. It's in the kitchen. It's in the lobby. It's in our life groups. It's beautiful, and I think it really pleases the Lord. And so please do be encouraged. Keep doing that. Keep teaching and modeling this to your children. But also, if there's anything in us, any part of us that's hesitant or fearful to do this kind of stuff, any inclination in us that wants to be exclusive, let Ephesians 3 convict that and reveal those areas and those attitudes and cause us to change and grow. If we truly understand this mystery that has been revealed to us, it, it really should move us on the inside and out. Like internally, when we feel shaken by being excluded, we can still have confidence and security in the inclusion that Jesus earned for us at the cross. Externally, when we encounter people who seem different from us, even offensive to us, we can still function as members of the body who extend an invitation and pull people in so that they can be a part of the promise of Christ. But there's more. There's a lot there already, but there's even more. So our last section today is gonna to show us that this mystery revealed is not just made to benefit us inside and out. It's meant for way more than we might initially think. It goes in so many more directions than we would normally think of. So why, would, why would that be and what does that mean? T take another look at verses eight to 12. And as we reread these verses, keep an eye out for the other reasons this mystery matters, the other directions it wants to go in, okay? Look at verse eight. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Last Sunday, uh, my family and I were coming down uh, from my grandmother's house. She lives up north about an hour and a half, and it was a long, hot day. I was tired, and so I needed to fill my, my truck up with gas, and I thought I could, I could use a little bit of chocolate, keep me awake on the road, you know. Got to come down the 101, the 405. And so uh, I'm at this gas station, and I thought, I, I just, a bag of M&Ms will do this, the trick. And so I got this bag of M&Ms. I ate the whole thing, and that's normally okay. It's fine to eat a bag of M&Ms, except I, I ignored this part right here. This is share size. Paid no attention to that. Did not give my wife or daughter one of these, just selfishly shoved the whole thing in my face, and I know that's gross, because this wasn't just made for me. 
This is made to share. It's not healthy, it's not right to keep all this stuff to myself. I know that's terrible. I regret that a little bit. But in the same way, this mystery in Ephesians 3 was meant for more than just me, more than just you. It's made to go in more directions, and it matters for at least three additional specific reasons here. Look at this, verse 8, 9, and 12. This is one of the reasons. So that everyone can receive the riches of Christ. See God's plan clearly and come confidently into his presence. That's one reason. Verse 10 says, this mystery matters, this is crazy, so that the demons know God's wisdom. We'll talk about that. Verse 11 says that this mystery matters so that God's eternal purpose would be fulfilled in Christ. Jesus, his mystery is not just for me. What he accomplished at the cross, his saving work, his unsearchable riches, that is a share pack that is meant to go around. It's not intended for me to just hoard to myself, but it's meant for global, spiritual, and eternal impact. Global, eternal, spiritual direction and impact. Spiritual, what do we mean by that? Spiritual because this message, this mystery is a message of defeat to demons. That's what's meant by rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Where are we getting that? How, how do we know that? Think back to chapter one. Chapter one says that Jesus is seated above the rulers and authorities. Remember that? Chapter two said that the prince of the power of the air is a spirit of disobedience. That's the devil. Chapter six, what we're going to see, if you know Ephesians six, that's the armor of God text. What do we fight against? Not flesh and blood, but the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are not good. Those are demons. And here in Ephesians 3, we learn, this is wild, we learn that the church is instrumental in revealing God's wisdom to them, in showing his creative and his redemptive plan that is unique and very unconventional, in that it extends peace and reconciliation and salvation to enemies, to those people, you and me, who once rejected God. This puts God's wisdom on display for demons who rejected God. To see, they have to look at that now and understand the tragedy of their treason against the creator of the universe. Make sense? They have to see that. They don't get what we get. Look at this, God says. That's what's happening here when this mystery is revealed. Not only that, we, we learned in Acts that demons actually had a, a, a literal grip on the community of Ephesus at one time, economically, spiritually, and, and so you see in Acts 20, uh, 18 to 20 that God used Paul to free people in Ephesus from evil spirits while Jewish exorcists were literally getting beaten up by them. They're fighting them. People in Ephesus were into dark magic books, into making idols and worshiping false gods. And demons are behind all of that. That's demon stuff. Both Jews and Gentiles in this city knew first hand what these rulers and these authorities were. They had felt them. They had literally seen them fighting in their neighborhoods. It's that real to them. And so the Ephesians experienced the direct impact of Jesus over the demonic presence in their neighborhood, trying to divide Jews and Gentiles, trying to keep people away from coming to the Lord, trying to keep idol makers focused on material wealth rather than the riches of Christ. 
That's what the demons were doing. And in all of this, the power of God was proclaimed as the church grew, as Jews and Gentiles came together in Christ, and as the mystery of the gospel reverberated into the spiritual realm. That is awesome. That's what this is about. We don't normally think about that, do we? That's what the mystery of Christ revealed is all about. It has a spiritual direction and meaning. It also has an eternal one because God has always, forever, since before time, had this plan that people must see. It's got to get out. And so without this being revealed, there's eternal consequences. The world would not know. You and I would not know that redemption is actually real. If God's plan is left in the dark, if it's not an eternal thing, then we are left in the dark as well forever for eternity. God wants everybody to see the light of Christ and to know that he has made a way to save us from death, that he wants even sinners like you and me and everybody even who's not here right now to be with him forever. This is his eternal plan realized in Christ. This is the message that has to be revealed. It's spiritual, it's eternal, and third, it's global. It's global because it's an invitation to everyone, all nations, not just to some but all people in the world that he created, that he loves to receive endless, unfathomable riches, wealth that will never run out, storehouses of treasure that can absolutely be experienced and enjoyed, never exhausted. And those riches are not just meant for one inheritor, one privileged people group, but the mystery is that God is so generous and gracious and good that he, through his son Jesus, offers every tribe and nation and tongue the wealth of heaven, the blessing of eternal life, and the prize of his presence. So what an overwhelming, unthinkable gift that is. It's beautiful that in Jesus, he offers this to all people, bold, confident access to himself. I want you to enjoy all of that, all of that wealth, all those riches for all people. He says, come, be with me without shame, without hesitation, without fear of rejection, no insecurity, no pretense, no guilt. Just walk in like you've been given that extra house key. This is like, don't even knock. This is your place too. Just come in, just eat my food, make yourself at home. And friends, Jesus earned that for us, for the whole world. For anybody who believes in him, he gives that key because he gave his life. He shed his blood to make us pure and clean and prepared to come into God's presence, atoning so that we could have access, crucified so that we could come, amen? And so tying all of this together, why this mystery matters eternally, globally, spiritually, think about it this way. I just wanna reframe what we're doing when we come together as a church, when we fellowship as life groups, when we're in a prayer meeting, this is what's happening. When we are united in faith and in love, when we are missionally professing the gospel and in building Christian fellowship across the boundaries of our social and ethnic, cultural, linguistic, political, preferential boundaries, God is pointing to us, holding us up as a demonstration of his supremacy over demons, over any evil force that would try to divide the church and he's making an announcement to the world that you could come to me through my son, Jesus. That's church. That's what we do. When we come together in Christ, when we reconcile and make peace, when we welcome the outsider, when we show hospitality, church, we are a living sign of God's eternal strength and power over the little powers of the darkness. 
When we gather, when we glorify God, it's not only in this room, it goes into another realm. The statement that our fellowship and our corporate praise makes, it sings into the spiritual places. When we see each other and treat one another as participants of the promise in Christ, know that God is preaching through us his eternal plan. He is manifesting his wisdom. He's revealing the mystery of the gospel into the heavens. This is incredible. And so, this mystery is not just meant for me and you. It is for all people. And it is intended to proclaim God's powerful, eternal plan, even to the forces of evil. Praise the Lord. Let's put this into action in a really concrete way, especially Brandon and Tiffany Tazaki. I'm going to invite you guys to open up that gift that you received. Pop that open for us. Go ahead and take it out. You may have to slip that out of his little sleeve. Can you tell us what that is? Coffee gift card to Nook. Do you guys know that spot? It's like a new, really nice new coffee shop just down 190th. It's, it's lovely. That's not bad, right? Nothing weird? It's like, that's a great little gift, I hope. Um, it is truly, actually, completely for you guys. And it's intended for a little bit more, okay? Uh, it's meant to be stewarded, just like we saw Paul in this, in this passage, meant for more than only you. And so to be a steward of, of that gift, I want to challenge you guys to take a few people out, okay? Especially somebody who maybe you see in the lobby or by the next steps table who looks a little bit disconnected or newer to the church. If you need, even if you need to slip out early before our last song, you know, to kind of, you know, be on the lookout, that's totally fine. We understand. Nobody will judge you, okay? Uh, so... And also, if Brandon and Tiffany come up to you and ask you to go out the coffee, just, just say yes, okay? Just go with it. We're building fellowship here. So, um, or, you know, if you, if you guys already have a coworker or a neighbor in mind who maybe doesn't know Jesus, um, and you've been, you really had them on your heart and you would love to go take them out the coffee, feel free to use it for that as well. Um, and with this gift given to you, thanks to the, the church credit card, uh, <laughs> let whoever know and experience that the hospitality in, in the household of God that we've been talking about today. And in all seriousness, no, no joke about the church credit card. What that means is that you all chipped into this. I love that. So the whole church is with you in that. You're not alone in the fellowship that you're building. There's a community behind you uh, in, that, in that gift. So do have fun with it. Know that we're, we'll be praying for you um, with either this evangelistic moment or this community fellowship building moment that you're going to create. And we're really excited to see how the Lord is, is going to use that in your life and in, in the, the people you're meeting with to facilitate the, the communicating of this message and revealing this mystery that everybody can be a part of the promise of Christ. To everybody else, though, we know we don't have to have a gift card to do that, do we? You don't even have to have a single dollar in your bank account because each of us has been given the riches of Christ already which is all we need to welcome the outsider, to invite the unincluded, to love those who feel left out, and to be together in fellowship with one another and with the Lord. And so church, I wanna challenge all of us to let's let our lives do this as we reach out over our distances and our differences, as we eliminate any sense of exclusivity in our hearts, as we squash superiority so that we can reveal the mystery that all people can be a part of the promise of Christ. Let's let our pursuit of togetherness and our unity in Jesus and the reconciliation that 
we can achieve because of the redemption we have in him. Let that proclaim God's wisdom, his beautifully eternal plan to the whole world, even to the forces of evil. Remember that when we worship, when we fellowship, when we're in a prayer meeting together. That's what it's doing. Let our hospitality, let our inclusion, our compassion and our care be something that calls people to come confidently into the presence of God by finding salvation in Christ and in his work on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, first of all, your eternal plan that, that you would have thought of this before time even began just is mind-blowing to us. So we worship you for that. Not only do we worship you, Lord, we thank you for realizing this in Christ Jesus because without that, without the person and the work of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, who died on the cross, who rose that we might have new life, experience forgiveness of our sins so that we could come to you, we would be separate and lost and dead forever. So we thank you so much for that, Lord. Lord, we ask for your help, the leadership of your spirit, that this would not stay just in us, but that you would empower us, embolden us to share this, to reveal this, the goodness of this mystery to others so that everyone who has not seen this yet, who has not heard this good news, can one day be a partaker in the promise of Christ. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would lead us in revealing your mystery to the world. We love you and thank you, and now we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.